Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Well, welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, not the circumstances under which we would want to be talking to you, but we thought we'd just jump on and do a, a quick reaction to the news that the Imola Grand Prix is cancelled. It goes without saying that the images we've seen of the surrounding area look devastating and our sympathies are with the area and we hope that that situation can be resolved as, as safely and as quickly as nature and the local services can allow we've got Kyle Power just jumping in and joining me as we've watched the stories unfold it's never nice to see towns residential areas like that just covered in covered in water and you know the water of that volume is just can be so devastating oh absolutely um it's horrible to see uh it's slightly oddly sort of uh close to home for me because I live in a town that floods regularly right. anyway and we had a load of flooding uh last last month and it was scary. Lucky it didn't reach my house, but having recently become a homeowner and seeing all that, yeah, it's people's lives being washed away, their property. And yeah, I believe from the region already, there's been like three people confirmed dead and like 5,000 people evacuated from the area. So this is serious and it's horrible to see. So obviously thoughts with everyone around there, but yeah, uh, I haven't been on the show for a while and it's unfortunate I come back on in I'm these sorry. sort of circumstances. Yeah, but, and, um, um, yeah. And, and it feels kind of, you know, a minor and trivial to start going, ah, oh, well, I I didn't get to see the F1 race car race that I wanted to see. But obviously we are an F1 outlet and that's what we're, we're talking about. And I think as an F1 fan, notwithstanding the fact that bad things do happen in the world, is um, I, I think it is okay to be disappointed that we don't get our F1 race as well. I don't think the two things there are mutually exclusive. Uh, there, there was a race that was looking to kind of almost rescue the F1 season a little bit because, you know, Baku was a dud. I I personally enjoyed the Miami Grand Prix. But really, from a commercial point of view, I think F1 was was kind of struggling a little bit and it needed a win. Yes, it was. 
oddly, I don't think Imola was a circuit to give it that win because it it has actually, well, quite ironically been saved by inclement weather the last couple of years. But F1 were going to try a couple of new things this weekend to try to spice it up a bit. So we had the new quali tyre rules, which is where they had to, yeah, they're enforcing using the hard in Q3, the medium in Q2 and the soft in Q3. And they've also changed the allocation around a little bit. So rather than 13 sets of tyres or getting 11, um, so that would have been quite interesting. And of course, we had the Mercedes upgrades, the dang-fangled upgrades that we didn't know whether it was going to be good or not. So everyone's just intrigued to see the car. So, of course, from a very selfish fan point of view, of course, it's absolutely gutting. But on the other hand, on the other hand, even like uh, it would have been disappointing if Formula One would have tried to rather nefariously plow on with their plans to try to get people into the region and try to get some sort of a race happening behind a safety car just so they didn't have to give a refund. So I think I would have been more disappointed in the sport if that would have happened than them yeah. making the correct call that came rather surprisingly, actually. Today. Very early, yeah. I think, look, that was the correct call. And I do want to go into uh, the Merck upgrades and what they were trying to achieve from the qualifying. But let's start off with what Formula One themselves said. And and like like you say, you and I, specifically out of the Missed Apex crew, were very surprised that this call got made early. So Formula One sends um, its thoughts to the people and communities affected by the recent events in the Emilia Romanga uh, region. We also want to pay tribute to the work of the emergency services, and that will be key, I think, in our conversations uh, of why the race didn't go ahead. Following discussions between, and I think this is key, the president of the FIA, so that is Stefano Domenicali, uh, com- competent uh, authorities, including the relevant ministers. So the government is there, president of the Automobile Club of Italy, the president of the region, the mayor of the city and the promoter of the track. The decision was taken that it's not possible to safely hold the event for our fans, um, teams and personnel. And and I think this is this is probably the key thing. It's not responsible. They're not the responsible thing to do, given the situation faced by the towns and cities in the region. It wouldn't be right to put further pressure on the local authorities and emergency services at this difficult time. But the reason we were surprised, Kyle, because we were chatting and before the decision was made, I think we both thought that they would kind of go down the SPA 2021 model where they would do everything they could to avoid the refund. So we've seen it in, we saw it in Australia. They let the fans get to the the ground in 2020 when I think it was becoming increasingly clear that COVID was about to sweep through the world. And then in SPA, I think you and I were particularly upset at that. And the reason I was upset at Spa was because at the time, I felt like it was an earnest effort to get the race going. But then post-race, and it might have been you that turned me bitter, (laughs) it looked (laughs) like everything was designed to do the minimum possible to not do a refund. And obviously, that's a bit of a spurious accusation. But I wasn't expecting this call. It's the right call, and I'm, I'm glad it came. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And like you said, we were chatting earlier about, well, they're probably going to do exactly what they tried to do in Spa. Um, Australia was slightly different. It was a pandemic. But again, they had so much time to intervene and it was pretty obvious what was going to happen there. So they didn't do it. And yeah, Spa was a little bit disgraceful, really. I feel sorry for the fans standing there all day in the rain because look at the conditions. I, yeah, post looking back on it, I don't think they really ever deeply, truly thought that yeah. they could start the race Obviously, or they could we do can't something. prove that, but like, okay, put it this way. If after two laps or whatever it was under the safety car that just so happened to meet the minimum requirement, so the minimum requirement is at least one practice session, and that can be quality, and then at least, I think, two or three laps 
and that can be under the safety car, um, but that counts. So even though they technically did do the minimum, they could have turned around and said, hey, actually, the fans turned up on a Sunday and didn't see any action. So Sunday portion of your ticket is refunded. So if it was about kind of the spirit of it, they could have turned around and did that. But I think they quietly went, nope, technically yep. we're okay. So <laughs> you don't get any refunds. And I, and I did wonder if it was going to go down that route this weekend because they could have kept saying, oh, well, we'll cancel Friday. Uh, no practice needed. After all, sprint races only have one practice. We'll cancel Saturday um, and then have qualifying and the race on Sunday. So they could have held out all the way and, until Sunday. And I think that was the worry that there wouldn't be any clarity. Yes, exactly that. And they have done that before. I can't remember these specific years, but they've they've done qualifying on race day morning. I think they did it in 2004. They've done it in 2011. I think various races of Japanese Grand Prix a couple of times. And they've, they've had their hands sort of like forced to do it on a Sunday. Um, and yeah, I was fully expecting. And after the spa debacle, like if they had have then turned around and just gone, yep, okay, here's a full refund. You didn't get any racing. Sunday, in. I don't refund, think we'd yeah. be having these, um, no. these, these thoughts I, now. And I wouldn't have been <laughs> like, suspecting them of plotting to do the mm-hmm. same thing this time either. Um, I mean, I think yeah. in most people's minds, like the sort of Formula One management, sort of the confidence in it is probably at an all-time low amongst amongst fans anyway. But um, yeah, so it's kind of sad that, well, it's not really sad, but we just instantly thought like, okay, they're going to try to play this and they're going to try and wriggle yeah. out of it. But again, to use the phrase again, their hands have been forced this time and it's a bit different. It's like a natural disaster, you could say, which is going on in the region. And just if you look at the practicalities of it, the actual getting the cars on the track on the waterlogged track is the, the tiniest bit of it. That was the bit which probably was going to pose the least problem. Yeah. So if you if, all... yeah, if you look at the track conditions, mm. actually, like say today, even though the inside and the media areas and the F two area was flooded, the track actually looks okay. Like you mm. could you could race on that track. Yeah. Yeah. But um, say it stopped raining today. I mean, I believe the rain's supposed to die down tomorrow, but then it's supposed to rain on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday again. Even if it stopped raining like now the drainage in the area is completely overwhelmed. So even if it is just spitting and you get one puddle form, there is nowhere for the water to go. So they can't, they, they just couldn't run it. It would be constant red flags and safety cars anyway. But the main aspect of it is, you know, like it's already been mentioned in the statement, I think the local authorities are probably overrun. You've got the local towns, which are a bit trashed and people being evacuated from, they have to ho- host the, not just the teams and all of the support staff of Formula One, but the thousands and thousands of fans going to be defending them yes, the descending onto the region yeah and they just can't they're, they're already at strain and the italian deputy prime minister matteo salvini actually sort of like called out formula one well not called out he sort of said it should be cancelled and then once yeah. you've got the deputy prime minister of the com- country saying the event should be cancelled i think formula one i think that kind of played formula one's hand for them there yeah so as much as like okay i want this to be formula one doing the right thing i want that but like like you say and i'll be honest yeah my trust in in my trust in formula one in general in the authorities isn't where i would like it to be uh but just because like i feel a bit jaded by a few things in the last couple of years <laughs> and um and and i i don't necessarily think that there's like an an honest communication with the fan base i think it's it is what suits and it is a business and i i'm grown up about that kind of thing i to make the decision to cancel a race and just go our oh, bad it's not happening, here's your money back, is a difficult thing to do. I would like to believe that they they did do that. If you put on an event and then you're not able to put on the event, 
I always feel like that risk is on the organizer. That's not on people like you and me who are who are buying a ticket. So whilst I want to think that they just turned around and said, hey, let's make sure no one travels here. Let's make sure no one incurs any expenses apart from all the journalists. Sorry, journalists. <laughs> the, the Twitter newsfeed is just full of people going, well, I just landed. Off I go. Uncle yeah, Joe, I think. Drove, Joe just said he just drove 400 kilometers. Yeah, or something. Joe say would drove 400 kilometers and they just goes, uh, oh, well, <laughs> nothing to do. Uh, back we back we go. Um, but, you know, they've saved like fans setting off and, and going and doing that. So. Whilst I'd like to think that that's them doing the right thing, it's also very obvious that there was significant government pressure. And this is very different to Spa, where where it was just the fact that the racing conditions happened to not exist for racing. Here, you could technically possibly have the racing conditions if it stopped raining or was only light rain on, on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, but the the whole area is basically, we're talking, we're talking like natural disaster. Well, it is a natural disaster, yeah, isn't it, in the area? Absolutely. Yeah, and... So even if they wanted to and they ignored all the political yeah. pressure and everything to do it, I don't think they physically could do it. But it is nice to see them do it so early and actually, you know, let's get real. Like, you know, there's yeah. people's lives being completely devastated here and around the whole region. And, yeah, I'd like to think that you've sort of seen this. This is kind of like a kind of a first for Formula One. They kind of look around and think, this would not be right, would it? Like, this, there is a moral line here. Like, no. But <laughs> we'd Carl, like, Carl, we'd the like mo- to think the that's moral the line one is reason. The, the missiles fine <laughs> uh, flood water obviously you know not so good um yeah obviously like forgive us if we're we're making kind of a, a jest of it uh that's mm. i i personally can't help it i think it's a psychological problem i have uh, but also yeah it's um the the fan in me even in uh, the australian grand prix in the lead up i i was screaming wrongly and this is why i'm not in charge of f1 to just get the cars on track just get the cars going it'll be fine and i was like i think i even argued at the time i was like well, the people that are there, they've already got it. So, you know, <laughs> I don't see what, what use is going to be. No, that's obviously stupid. Um, but I'm, I'm itching to, to have the, the cars on track. And especially after the last two races we've had, especially with Monaco coming up. I mean, if you want a triple header to quote unquote save Formula One, Imola, Monaco, Barcelona, all, mm. all great and historic tracks in their own right. <laughs> but none of them likely without rain. To, to set the world of F1 on fire. No. So yes, I, I reserve the right to be to be deeply disappointed that there's no F1 action. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I say it's the track itself was fine. But once I think today the pictures started coming out of the actual flooded areas and the difference in the river levels, mm. like you say, that's when you realise the water table is just saturated. And that is um, uh, tinderbox is the wrong word because it's water. But it is, it's a tinderbox of conditions because it won't take a lot for that to then get flooded. And apparently the, the way it works there is obviously there's tributaries from the mountains and all those tributaries, all the rivers that feed into that river, had also you know are also flooding further up the chain. So over the course of the weekend, you're going to get all that flood water coming down. So uh, yeah, yeah o- overall, overall, everything seemed against it, yet none of us had faith that they would do the right thing but but thankfully but, they have and it, yeah and yeah i'm not going to be ashamed to say that i was surprised when i saw the statement i was pleasantly surprised that it's in cancel is the only sort of time i think i'd be happy a race is cancelled <laughs> um to see it but is that no you've done the right thing and yeah i was quite amazed but even if they wanted to plow through if you look at the actual practicalities of it it's not possible like so the teams aren't even set up the paddock's underwater they've all been evacuated Aided out the area, you know. Yeah, this is putting aside the moral and the human issues sort of here. 
you've got marshals, you've got support staff, you've got medical staff. You don't just need a medical helicopter. You need road routes to hospitals round as well. So if the roads are flooded, that can't happen. You've got the, like I said, the water level is going to be super high. So even if there is some sprinkling of rain, that's got no drainage to go. You get a car go off into the grass, that's going to be a quagmire. They, you're not going to get it out. It's going to drag loads of mud on the circuit. So even if they did manage to get a car out on track, one person goes off, that's going to be a long-term sort of red flag and mud everywhere. You've got all of the medical staff, all of the press. You just can't accommodate that amount of people and the local towns and the hotels. There's just, you know, and besides from the from the disaster that's happening, this is a massive economical hit for the region yeah. as well because they're probably wanting all of this tourism. There's a lot of private local restaurant owners, hoteliers who are probably, you know, They've got bigger fish to fry at the moment, but when it all sort of dies down, they've had a big hit in their forecast sort of um, projected sort of earnings over the thing. So I don't think it's even possible yeah. to run to run a race if the thing. And yeah, the fans lose, everyone sort of loses, but that's the sort of insignificant story on the bigger picture, really. But as a yeah. as a fan, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm gutted. And thing is, with a, a decision like this, we're sort of defending it, but we're not. We don't need to defend it from anyone because you, you, no, I look on social media on uh, right t- on yeah Twitter, Facebook, even Reddit. <laughs> the <laughs> everyone is saying like, no, this is absolutely the the right decision. Uh, take it on the chin. So we're not going to uh, pack up and leave people without content on Sunday. We are doing a listener mailbag, so you can email us feedback at mistapex.net with a question or a comment. And that will be discussed amongst our race panel, which is Alex Van Jean, Matt Two Rumpets, and Christian Pedersen. So before you go, Kyle, because I know you've got a lovely dinner bubbling away, <laughs> I've got two questions for you. Mm-hmm. What was that qualifying format? Because somehow that had uh, mis- uh, passed me by. And also, what was it trying to achieve? What effect would it have had? Right. So basically, they're putting... Um... Well, you could argue draconian sort of tyre rule measures onto the qualifying format to try to spice the racing up a little bit. So they're going to limit the teams. Now, my understanding of this is that they they basically stipulate which compound you have to use per qualifying session, right. but not how many of that compound, I don't believe. So okay. their aim was to... One, I think, I think it was being flown under the banner of, um, oh, it's making it more economical and reducing the tyre sets, which is... Yeah, I don't really, that doesn't really wash much, um, but they're trying to spice the show up. So um, so basically they're reducing from 13 sets to 11 sets of tyres, but stipulating what you can use in each session. So in Q3, everyone has to use the hard tyre and they have one more right. set of hard tyres than they usually would. Wait, wait, do you mean, do you mean Q1? Only, only get two. Q1. Q- the first qualifier. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. I yeah, make Q1. that mistake all the time because I think mm-hmm. one should be the highest Yes. Because the first is the highest <laughs> yeah. in Formula One. Okay, so, yes, no, so, Q, so my bad. So Q one, the first qualifying session, yeah, it, you are mandated to use the hardest compound. Yes. Yep, you have to. And then Q two, you have to use the medium, and then Q three, you have to use the softs. But there's not I don't think there was a stipulation on how many sets you could use. Okay. So so I think the logic and the theory behind it is that it will spice some strategy up, it's gonna force them to use every single tire, and then more teams should be left with more fresh tires of varying compounds for the race which might encourage some teams into a two-stop or it's going to be an easy one-stop or not and then there's another fact in this which is slightly overlooked because they've reduced the sets and they're going to do this new restriction on the qualifying compounds that pirelli actually went a, st- a step softer than planned in the compound range did they so nice so and this is that's something good. that that's almost what we every said. time yeah yeah on the show i've been harping on about this for years now i just want Pirelli to be less risk averse and go for a softer compound range for each race so 
that could have been spicy and it could have been good. But I actually think there might have been a bit of an un- unforeseen drawback here in that you might have teams struggling to get into Q2 or, or say, for instance, a McLaren struggling to get into Q3. They might throw more sets of mediums at it to get to, through to Q3, but then be left with no mediums for the race. So it might actually cancel itself out. See, that's interesting. You know I mean. Yeah. So like, there was the rule where you had to qualify on the tyre that you, you started on. Uh, yeah, but the Q2 uh, rule. Yeah, the, the, the Q... Oh, oh, that was it, in Q2, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And, and so that would actually give the top teams an advantage because not only could they qualify for Q3 on a slightly harder tyre, say a medium instead of a soft, that would mean they would have the advantage on starting on a better race mm-hmm. tyre and teams that were desperately just trying to edge into the top 10 were doomed to start on a disintegrating soft tyre. And, and then also like you had this, the vagaries of if you were outside the top 10, you could choose, but if you were inside the top 10, you couldn't choose. So if you were somewhere between P8 and P12, there was no incentive for you to get into the top 10 at at all. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So luckily that rule has been dropped. And with these rules, it's a shame we've been deprived. We're not going to see it. And I don't believe they're going to do it at the next Grand Prix or we don't know. They may well end up rolling it over and say, okay, next Grand Prix, we're going to try to do this. But Pirelli, actually, that probably can't be done because it's a different compound range. And Pirelli doesn't probably have a manufacturer, but actually they're reducing the compound. So I don't know. It might be possible to roll it over. It might not. But luckily that sort of rule isn't in there. So that's what the fans have been deprived of again, is seeing this sort of experiment. And I know I get quite Ooh. angsty when yeah. they when they try and experiment, they keep messing around with the rules and stuff. But if it results in having more tires available or forcing, well, not forcing, making a more alternative strategy, a more viable possible. option, then I'm all for it. Is the allocation of tires changing? Yes, I right. think so. So usually they only get like two hards. Now that, they get three that, sets of hards. Right, that They're was my to question. More of a variety, yeah. So, so if they said, right, you've only got your two sets of hards, try and qualify out of Q1 now on your hards, a lot of teams would go, stuff that. I'll just start 16th and have my hard tyres for the race. Because, well, because, yeah. because the hard is basically the race tyre at the moment. Exactly. Or, or if you... Or if a top team goes out and the driver on slightly cold tyres going into going, going to Tamarello on the first lap has a massive lock-up, ruins that set of tyres, then in down That's the it. set of tyres, mm. and that's going to cancel itself out anyway. And they're going to really compromise themselves for the rest of, for the rest potentially of the Grand Prix. Which, if the hard tyre is looking like the tyre to be on, then then they're going to want to keep at least one new set back. But which, actually, yeah. that wouldn't really work out that way because in Q1, you know, They've got three sets of hards available and you don't want more than two sets of hard available for the race unless you're going to do a three stop. So I don't think that was a risk anyway, but still it would have been really interesting to see how it plays out. And particularly in the midfield that and the team struggling to get into Q3, that's where it would have been quite interesting. And the counter argument that people always come in with is, uh, oh, good, it's supposed to be hard. But actually, I, I think that as, as tempting as it is to say, well, don't have any practice, punish mistakes. When you do that, you actually increase the gap. So the, mm-hmm. the teams that struggle more are more likely to make a, a mistake, are more likely to struggle. The teams that are great and are on it, uh, they t- you know, tend to, to run away. And it's like, it's like changing the regulation set. The, the longer you let everything be stable and let everyone to get to their true potential and competitive level, the closer the racing will end up being. So yeah, having some kind of uh, basically making qualifying much, much harder will suit the teams at the top end. It will, it will spread the gap. 
Yeah. And also you're a bit like the regulation changes and the cost caps in now, you're basically reducing the chances to get it right. So if some yeah. somebody gets it really right, like Red Bull have done this year and hats off all credit to them, you know, you're kind of basically stopping chances for other teams to try and have another go. So yeah, you could argue it's making it more of a meritocracy, but yeah, for the loads, it, it intensifies the pressure massively. And to be honest, as a fan, that's why I'm not a great fan of these sort of reduced practice sort of sprint weekends so much. As a fan, I'd rather see some teams get into where they need to be and it be optimized and more of a straight out fight than it was. Then you might have somebody who's completely unoptimized and might be a bit off the pace. It might, yes, you might get a few sort of shakeups and hickety pickety, but I'd rather see teams that are prepared and it would be more of a, not more of a meritocracy. That's kind of like the wrong way of saying it. But if you know what I mean, I want to see teams high, yeah. more prepared. High quality, high standard. I'm trying to think yes. of a soccer analogy. And I'm trying to think <laughs> like, well, what if the teams turned up and they didn't know, because there's different sizes of pitches. What if they didn't know the size of the pitch, the kind of standing, whether it was going to be a, a top tier level, like 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 um, like playing on an artificial, like playing on concrete or whether it was going to be in a bog uh, and they weren't able to prepare. <laughs> and then you just threw them out there with no training and and you you made the matches at random times, even if it meant pulling them out of the pub, uh, then you don't want to see that. You want to see teams being able to do their homework, knowing who they're playing, knowing what pitch they're going to be on, and just seeing the best quality that that team can produce. And I think we want to see that in Formula One as well. We don't want this lottery where we go, right, okay, you're turning up, um, <laughs> and, and to make that pitch analogy make sense, when they turn up at a track, they don't really know how the track surface is behaving this year what the weather conditions are going to do to their car, the specific weather conditions. They're so sensitive to heat, to humidity, to altitude, to, you know, a resurfaced track that do, do you, do we actually want a random element or do we want to see sports professionals at their best? Yeah. We'd rather see some test cricket as opposed to village cricket. <laughs> and it gets hey, hey, hey. I will not hear is. a word against village cricket. <laughs> oh, no, it's great. <laughs> That's the beeriest way to enjoy a Sunday. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And the very last thing uh, before we uh, before we go. Uh, so I'm unashamedly uh, a Lewis Hamilton fan. So I was obviously hoping that the Mercedes upgrade was going to land here and be devastating. So mm. uh, you know, head cannon, where fans of like a sci-fi thing, like they go, oh, the reason that that plot thing was bad was actually because he'd gone off on a secret mission and uh, had gained, you know, the respect of the Bears. It's not really in the actual story, but it's like <laughs> headcanon. It's things that fans do to kind of justify and validate right. the story. So in my headcanon, that Mercedes upgrade was incredible. Side pods, pff, don't even call them <laughs> side pods. They were side, side buildings. These things that were going to be revealed, they were, they were the best side pods you've ever seen, Kyle. They added 85 points of downforce and it was the most comfortable 44 World Championship constructors points everywhere. And in fact, journalists were saying, could Mercedes dominance in 2023 ruin F1 after that race? So that's my headcanon. And I've got two weeks uh, to enjoy that before. That's definitely not true in Barcelona. (laughs) Well, they could have been the best side pods in the world. Let's hope we don't end up with a tribute. So when, when they come in, so Ooh, we're going to go t- around. Is that a Tenacious D reference? That is a Tenacious D pun. Mate, nice. Know. Love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it's quite it's quite a poignant um, sort of statement, really. Like Mercedes are probably the ones who have been screwed over the hardest by this because they were desperate. They said, yeah. you know, 
they were they they were all eggs in one basket. They were all in. They said they're not going to do a back to back comparison because they've got limited time. They're going to put both cars on the same. Just spec. go for it. And they really needed some running on a on a semi normal track. I say semi normal. No, Imola's a, tight, a, a bouncing dry, over curves. Yeah, but a dry and Imola would have yeah. would have been a test. For yeah, that exactly. And also, you know, I think they've got some suspension parts as well. And it's all about riding the curbs and they've traditionally struggled over the curbs. So it would have been a really great test for it. But now they're not going to be able to run. They're going to have to go to Monaco, which is going to be pretty hard to validate it because it's in such unique yeah. sort of thing. And the ride height's so much higher. They're going to have the car up on stilts because it's bumpy. It's a street circuit. They've got manhole covers. They can't with. test the floor. They um, can't test the bodywork. It's, it's, all, not about, really, not it's all about mechanical grip, isn't it, around there and the yeah. lottery. Yeah. And stuff like that. So, you know, one could argue if they were if they had their backs up against the wall in 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 regards to having enough spare parts available, this could be a godsend. It gives them chance to make the spare parts, but they don't actually know whether this package is going to work. What's the what's one of the age old sort of uh, problems of Formula One is correlation issues between your simulations yeah. and when the car actually gets on track. And these have now not actually been run on track. So if they go and make a load more spare parts and the package doesn't work, then hmm. They're not in a good state, are they? Let me do some positives. So, so let me pretend that Monaco doesn't exist for a second. From this package point of view, it's another two weeks to go, hmm, okay. The things we, where we said, hey, Derek, we need an answer now. We can now mm-hmm. go back to Derek and go, was that if given two more weeks and he could go, oh, no, actually, I, th- I think we should go in this direction. Uh, Monaco, they could, they could fluke a win because they're, they're not down on straight line speed. You know, drag's not an issue. They could fluke qualifying, you know, just a, a well-timed, a well-timed Q3 trip to the Raskas wall, as is tradition in Monaco, to, to nick a pole position. And a win is on there. And then they get to Barcelona, a track which historically has been kind of almost like the ultimate test of whether your package is good. Because it's got a big, long mm-hmm. straight. It's got like that turn three which is a, a very kind of a long, high downforce corner. It's got a lot of stop-start, point and squirt. It's got a little bit of everything. And hang on, isn't Barcelona normally before Monaco? Yeah. Mm. Yes, it is. Yes, actually, because it's usually the Barcelona Q3, uh, not Q3, Sector 3, and yeah. everyone's like they're going to be really good yeah. in Monaco. Oh, yeah. Um, Why are they tr- but that doesn't apply this year because they've no... actually got rid of the chicane <gasps> and they're going yeah. back to the uh, uh, the fast sweeps at the end of the I'm lap. I'm excited to see if that makes a difference to the yes. racing. Same here. So, um, but you know, Barcelona's basically it's all about the aero, and Formula One is mainly all about the aero. Yeah. So it is like where they go to test how they get in their, their tire wear. There's lots of long aero dependent corners, so it is the perfect test. But without having any sort of validation work done in Imola, Mercedes is going to turn up to Monaco without having to really sort of assess their package and then how to set it up. It might the car may behave di- it may might behave differently. So they realistically, I think, have to wait till now Barcelona first Friday practice to see really where they're at on yep. a on a representative proper track so that's a long time for them it might be but it's not as if if the imola didn't work they were going to go okay c-spec like this is yeah. it this is the yeah. this is the platform that they think they're going to build on so if they'd have got a good result at imola that's fine if they would got a terrible result at imola and been nowhere and gone ah well actually we <laughs> this has failed as well <laughs> that that was it i don't think they were going to come and go oh well, well we'll just you know scrap that and start again so in a, in a way, they, they've already taken their shot in the design room. All they've really missed is the validation of it in on, on, on track conditions or the validation or not. So they still don't know. But if, if, it, if it's a terrible package, it's a terrible package. Who cares? If it's good, it's still going to be good in Barcelona going, mm. and, and going forward. And then we're into a more normal 
kind of calendar period, aren't we? Hang on, I'll, I'll have a quick look at the, the calendar. There's some more I'm, I'm, sort of normal tracks and less sort of uh, street tracks. Street tracks. Yeah. Well, stop loading the front of the F1 calendar with with street tracks. It's starting mm-hmm. to. It's starting to You're upset me. yourself up for a fall, aren't you? I mean, yeah, exactly. And they just—if they do this again for the next two or three years, then they're just saying, "Okay, we accept that every season we're going to have fans screaming at us for for non-amazing races." When look at what's coming up. Okay, so Barcelona. I will defend Barcelona as the as not quite the low end of the good classic F1 tracks because Hungaro Ring manages to get by on that long straight, and it's a lot tighter than a lot of the other tracks. Then you've got Spain. Uh, sorry, uh, then you've got Canada, which is the best temporary or hybrid temporary mm. track. I know people argue with me, but it's a classic mm. and it has potential yep. to throw out classics. The Red Bull Ring is a, a great race track. I didn't like it at first, but it has it's grown on me. Silverstone, Hungara Ring, Spa, Zandvoort. <laughs> we had a great race last year, though, didn't we? I can't remember. Zandvoort. I can't remember. Zandvoort yeah, it was a brilliant year. race. Where you know the. Um, yeah, the two two Mercedes were were going for the one stop strategy in the end. Oh, Remember, right, it was the yeah. safety car at the end that sort of somewhat ruined it, and it that was all bubbling up really nice. Mm. Yeah, so Zandvoort again, if Pirelli get the tire compounds correct, and it gives an open strategy. So what what I personally think it should have is a is a nailed on safe two stop and a risky one or a risky three. That would be good. Yeah, great either side. If Pirelli get the compounds right, then potentially any track has the potential to throw up a great race. And this is why Hungaroring usually throws up great races because it's such a high energy track on the tires that it usually forces a two stop. So we usually get some strategy variation in there or somebody trying a one stop and Silverson again, high load on the tires and a place where you can overtake. So yes, we have some potential great races coming up and, and yeah, Red, like Red Bull Ring, it's 80% a DRS zone with some amazing overtaking <laughs> it's, it's, opportunities. It's, it's unique. It's unique. The type of racing yeah. you get in, at the Red Bull Ring is unique, and that's great. And the mm-hmm. same with Monza. There's, um, it, that's got something very different and special about it. Singapore. Now, if, if you said to me, keep one street circuit for what a street circuit is supposed to be, I'll take Singapore. Because there you've got the, the glamour under the lights. It's visually spectacular. Uh, and, and, and just because of 2017 and the start at 2017 <laughs> with the Ferraris. Uh, for, for that, it can have a place on the calendar forever. Suzuka is, is back as well on the calendar, yeah. so that's great. Looking forward to that. But imagine if this was the start of the, the season. Okay, If I scroll up here on the calendar, we say, okay, start of the 2024 season. Race one, Spain. Race two, Canada. Race three, Red Bull Ring. Race four, Silverstone. Hungara Ring. Spa. Zandvoort. Monza. Singapore. Japan. That is a killer. That's a killer start to the F1 season. F1 are mad. Yeah, well, it's almost like proper tracks, like Formula <laughs> 1 used to be, <laughs> used to get sort of at the start of the season. We didn't have so many of these races. I mean, you know, Baku can have, as usually, thrown up some amazing races. Australia now, the changes to circuit are better and stuff like that. So, so you know, it's just unfortunate safety cars kind of ruin, ruin races that we've had. But yeah, definitely Formula 1 of old, you'd kind of look at the lineup and the schedule and be like, oh yeah, that's going to be a good race. That's going to be a good race. So yeah, I, I agree. I'd like to see them sort of uh, get out of this rabbit hole of just getting loads of street circuits and what we'd classify as inverted commas, unrepresentative circuits yeah. right at the Scatter start of the them. calendar. Scatter them. Yeah, Do exactly. that. But do that and then have Miami. No one's going to complain about Miami. Yeah. Have that. Exactly. Do that. Anyway, look, I know you've got a fabulous dinner to get off to, but <laughs> uh, I think I'd like to get to the point where we can we don't normally do kind of reacting to things shows but my schedule's uh, uh, a little bit more settled 
at the moment. I love the fact that we can just jump on and have a chat. Hopefully, uh, the listeners don't consider this spam and and think it might be a worthwhile <laughs> thing to do every now and then. Like we say, we've got the mailbag show coming on Sunday. Feedback at mistapex.net with your questions or comments. So you lead the conversation. As soon as the internet at my house gets sorted, we're going to start doing the live call-ins again because they were absolutely brilliant uh, last season. Also, I think we're going to try and get Mike Caulfield uh, early next week as well. And then we're into Monaco where someone else will, will lead that race review. But I'll be back for Barcelona. Until we see you next, work hard. Be kind and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns